When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golik's Ready. I'm Mike Golik. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome to another edition of Golik and Smetty. I'm Mike Golik Sr. She is Jess Smetana. And Jess, wow. Thursday Oof. to Monday, everyday college football. We are at week zero was last week with a few games. Week one had a whole lot of games and a whole so lot of surprises. Back, Mike, I did not get off my couch for just days at a time this weekend. I can't believe what a great week one we had in store. So we brought in our, our friend, Ryan Nanny, who, Mike, I don't know if you know this, but your son Gojo and I went on his podcast. We're not all like this a couple weeks ago to talk about Notre Dame fandom. So people should check that out. But he's also the co-host of the Shutdown Fullcast and the Fullcast After Dark, which is part of the Metal Arc Media Podcast Network. So Ryan, thank you for joining us. I have a million questions I want to ask you, Ryan, but oh. I first want to start with what, what what were your takeaways from talking to Gojo and I about uh, Notre Dame football fandom? And can you tell the class that what a nice time you had talking to us? Um I, I appreciate <laughs> just that you, I think are the only person I've talked to on any episode of the show who has turned the interview back on me and has somehow <laughs> made me be the one who has to answer the questions. But no, it was lovely talking to both of you. And, and I said this at the outro of that episode, talking to you two really made me like want to go to South Bend for a football game, which is not an emotion I have ever experienced. So I'm still grappling over what that means. Well, you're welcome. And in addition to the shutdown full cast and all the other things that you do, Ryan, you also have a metric that you are tracking this season called yes. corn. Correct. Okay. So let's yeah. actually start there. What is corn and what, how does this pertain to what's going on in college football right now? Okay. So Brian Ferentz has a specific uh, addendum to his contract this year where he has to score Iowa, Iowa, I should say. Yes, that's Iowa. Right. He's the OC uh, for Iowa. Not Brian Ferentz himself. Right. Brian Ferentz doesn't yeah. have to get out there and strap up a helmet. Um, but Iowa has to win at least seven games and they have to average at least 25 points per game including a bowl game if they play it. So if they get, if they get, if they win seven games and they're over 25, they still have to like maintain that pace in the bowl game itself. How many points did Iowa score in their win over Utah state to start the season? 24. 24. <laughs> and, my, and my favorite part of this game was the very last play on the penultimate play. Utah state turned the ball over on downs deep in their own territory. And for just a second, I was like, Iowa's got the ball in clear field goal position, but it would be so unsportsmanlike to kick a field goal at, on the very last play just to get over the 25 hump. But this is week one. If they're in that same situation, week 10, week 12, like they might have to start thinking about those weird choices. All I have to say is I do it. And then after I go to the other coach and say, sorry, <laughs> I had incentives uh, that we're going to get me there. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I will, I will, uh, I will not apologize for it. I think, I think coaches would understand that that's a, that's a kind of a weird type of offshoot to the college season that we're going to, I know you're going to keep an eye on and keep us an updated every week, but this Thursday to Monday of football, I'm, I'm going to let you pick what you thought. What was the highlight? It feels to you? hard not to say Colorado TCU because there was so much attention put on this Colorado team all off season and lots of people, myself included sort of felt like this is overdone. This is overblown. This is a team that has not been relevant in the PAC 12 for a long time. And this is a coach who is coming in and doing things that are really out of step with what we think, how you, how we think you're supposed to build the college football program. 
for them to go on the road to TCU, beat them in their own house, and do so with like such an exciting and electric brand of offensive football, Shadur Sanders set the school record for passing yards in his first game. And Colorado is not a school that you look at and you're like, ah, they've never had any great passers before. Like, it was wildly impressive and it was entertaining. I think that was the most important thing is that it, it, it's not just that Colorado won, but it was uh, it was television you couldn't turn away from. And if that's what if that's what Dion and this team are going to give us more weeks than not this season, that's already such a huge leap forward for the Buffaloes. I'm already looking forward to Colorado and USC because we know USC's defense allows a lot of points and Colorado's offense looked absolutely electric with Dylan Edwards and Shudder Sanders. So my question for you before the season, I think the wins total on DraftKings was three and a half games for Colorado. Yeah. Do you put them above that now, or are you still waiting and seeing because we don't yet really know where we should even have TCU ranked in all of this? I think you probably put them above it just because if they can have this level of, if they can have that level of offensive success consistently, they're going to have a puncher's chance in basically every game. The defense is a concern. Like not only did TCU roll up a lot of yardage, but TCU was able to counter punch so regularly throughout this game. And it really did come down to who's going to get the last stop. And it happened to be Colorado. There's, there's a million versions of this where Colorado plays really well, but TCU still gets the victory. But that said, I think Colorado, I mean, they've got Nebraska next. Nebraska is a team that looks like it has improved in some regards over last season, but in many ways is still the same Nebraska team we have seen for the last, I don't know, decade at this point. There's, there's nothing that Nebraska showed me against Minnesota that makes me think, oh, Colorado can't win that game. And if they can beat if they can beat Nebraska and get two out of the way, now you're telling me they only have to win two games the rest of the season to go over? It feels silly to say that they can't do that. What's amazing to me is this was a 111 team, 86-player turnover, as we know, that now the, the talk is, well, after they beat Nebraska and after they beat Colorado State, we have mm-hmm. the huge matchup with Oregon, who put 81 on Portland State. Nobody ever thought we'd be saying that right out of the gate with Colorado, uh, except Dion believed that, and he's keeping receipts. You heard in his presser, I read your article or your article. And listen, I get it. You got you to put the chip on your shoulder and the players follow suit, so that's cool. But back-to-back Oregon and USC certainly will be a good t- telltale sign for them, but congrats to them coming out of the gate the way they did. Some of the other games, the, the Florida State win over LSU and the Clemson loss over Duke, even though it's just week one, does that give you kind of, uh-oh, the, the, the times may be a changing in the ACC? Which, which game told me more about which those two ACC teams? I would pick the Florida State win over LSU. Like, similar situation to Colorado where you have a bunch of transfer talent incoming, a lot of, like, homegrown or sort of developed talent already on the Florida State roster. But to see what they did specifically in the second half in a game that, wasn't just close, but they were lucky to sort of be in it as close as they were after the first half. LSU really blew a lot of good opportunities to get some distance between themselves and the Seminoles in the first half. And the physical aggression with which they played in the second half and the sort of unmitigated desire to step on LSU's throat, that is something that I feel like we haven't seen from Florida State in a while. And to me is a really good indicator of, oh, this is a team that is not only ready to make the leap, but really wants to make the leap and really wanted to go out and deliver a statement against what still should be a pretty good LSU team. And and boy, like they absolutely answered a lot of questions in one week. Clemson, on the other hand, what a weird game. <laughs> What a really weird, like, this is a game where yeah. Clemson had four red zone possessions and scored on one of them because they turned the ball over twice inside the Duke 10-yard line. I, I don't think that's replicable. If it is, <laughs> I am very excited to see what Clemson fans do this season. Ryan, this was the second half drives for Clemson. This is how they all ended. Missed field goal, fumble, fumble. Turnover on downs, interception, turnover on downs, end of game. No punts. 
no not puns. a single punt and no points. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think Clemson on balance got outplayed. I don't think they necessarily got 21 points outplayed. I think they got a, a lot of real weird luck and a lot and, and, and Duke, I should say really capitalized on those moments. Um, but I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily willing to shovel a ton of dirt on Clemson's grave going forward. I am worried though. I am curious to see like how they can fit because ultimately the problem is that Clemson's offense still looks as labored and stumbling as it has for the last couple of years. And that just can't continue to be the case. Kate Klubnik was supposed to be the answer. That was supposed to be the thing that unlocked everything. Then you see what DJ's doing in Oregon state in his first start. And you're sort of like, wait, maybe the call is coming from inside the house. Well, yeah. <laughs> and for G- DJ, the grass yeah. is a little bit uh, yes. also greener. Also, we have a situation where yeah. I felt that America had all decided to root for Duke last yeah, night. Yeah, you're which right. Which is, that's like, we need to figure out what's going on. If the, the v- vibes are so bad at Clemson that people are now rooting for scrappy upstart Duke look, football. Look, Jess, it's a tough time in this country. We're all looking for something to unite behind. If it happens to be Duke football, so be it. <laughs> it's something. I'll give you that. Just just as long as it's yeah, not when they play Notre true. Dame, we'll, we'll be cool with that. In, in, in a larger picture, because, again, that's why you can't go on stats. Uh, uh, Clemson had the ball longer, had more total yards, more passing yards, more rushing yards, blah, 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 but lose by 21. The bigger picture here, Ryan, I'm, I'm wondering – Dabo isn't big into the portal. And this is the way of the world now that you either it's, I don't know if it's, I want to say about Dabo adapt or die, but it may be something he may need to start to tap into yeah, a little I, bit I down the road. At the very least, something has to change. Clemson has built its brand on this very unique, very selective recruiting identity since he really has taken off as the head coach there. And to see other programs sort of flip the switch while Clemson has been stuck in not second gear, but fourth gear for a couple of years now, there does need to be some sort of soul searching going on. And I I guess they thought changing offensive coordinators was going to be it. Um, There's just something about Clemson right now, especially on offense. It doesn't look smooth. It doesn't look easy and they should have the talent that it should look smooth and easy. And I don't, I truly don't understand why it continues to feel so laborious, so much like marching uphill for this team. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. One of the biggest uh, upsets of the weekend that I don't think is getting quite enough attention is a Baylor-Texas State final that, honestly, I, I saw it, the score... I wasn't watching the game. I saw it on ESPN at halftime, and I was like, I'm going to keep an eye on this. And lo and Mm. behold, Ryan, what happened in that game? How did Texas State, with a brand-new head coach, upset Baylor and Dave Aranda, who, you know, they had a tough year last year, but the year before won the conference. Yeah. Um, Texas State's new head coach, G.J. Kinney, has a brother who plays for Baylor. His brother is like, I think, uh, uh, down the depth chart wide receiver for Baylor. So, so let put that to the side. Ultimately, what doomed Baylor in this game was offensive line execution. This is a team that committed six false starts. They had one ineligible man downfield, one illegal formation, an illegal substitution, like just sloppy penalties, not penalties that are born out of, we're really trying to get after it. We're really trying to make something happen. Like you can't have six false starts to open the season at home. You just like, that's, that's a wild mistake to make. Texas state had 10 tackles for loss in this game and three sacks. They, they, if you take away Baylor's two longest runs, which are 32 and 31 yards, 
They ran for 1.5 yards per carry against Texas State. A Texas State team that prior to this was 0-26 against Power 5 teams. Like, it says a lot about Texas State. And they're, you know, they're bringing in a transfer quarterback in TJ Finley who did some time at LSU, played for Auburn a little bit. Like, it, there's, there's a similar sort of transfer portal story there as well. But Baylor was just so sloppy in this game. And, and looks looks unproductive on the line specifically in ways that if Texas state can do that, if Texas state can get in your backfield 10 times, what on earth are the other big 12 teams going to do to you at this point? Mike, I have a a good trivia question for you coming out of this game. My friend Chris pointed this out to me. Did, did GJ Kinney sound like a familiar name to you, Mike? the new Texas state head coach. He was the conference USA player of the year in 2010 for Tulsa who came to Notre Dame stadium and upset the fighting Irish (laughs) uh, in. Yeah. I knew I hated (laughs) him. I knew I hated him. This final year, 2010. I knew it. So bad, bad time. Uh, Yeah. Wow. To Notre Dame fans. But I, I, thanks for bringing that up. Now I have that salt in the wound. Uh, yeah, this was a 27 and a half point bo- do- uh, dog, biggest dog of the week. We thought it was going to be Colorado at 20 and a half. Uh, Texas State, uh, 27 and a half, as you mentioned, their first win over a power five. And then, Ryan, let's switch to the mm-hmm. soon to be defunct Pac 12. Two teams left Washington State, Oregon State. I think they'll probably end up in the Mountain West. Yeah. They're 13 and 0 on the year. They went 12-0 and in week one. USC played in week zero. So they haven't lost a game yet. And I, and I know people say, well, there's a lot of cupcakes they're playing. Well, so are all the other conferences. They're all doing it too, but they find a way to lose. You know, Boston College loses to NIU and then hands them a check wait, for wait, a million. They should, make, we just they should have to make the team hand talk about a check that for a to second. the other we, team. We just need to I, I, reiterate, Boston College lost to Northern Illinois. I know Notre Dame has Northern Illinois on the schedule next year, so maybe I, like, whatever. But that was yeah, ugly, yeah. Mike. Yes. That was ugly. <laughs> Oh, it was. And and then had to pay him over a million bucks. They should have to give him a big uh, Happy Gilmore check right right at the middle of the field saying, we suck again and here's your million dollars. But Ryan, the Pac-12 is undefeated. The Pac-12 had five player, five teams in the preseason uh, rankings, ranking anywhere from all top six 20, uh, right? yeah. Uh, yeah. to 18 with, with, with all top 20. You're right. And, but, but, do we fear again that they just all eat their young when they just destroy each other and end up not? Because I have Washington making it into the playoffs this year, but you just get afraid they knock each other off. Because right now, I think that's they look, entirely they look good possible. After week but one. to your point, that is an improved problem for the conference had because this had been a conference where you looked up and said like, "Oh, Washington State lost to an FCS team," or "Oh, you know." Uh, Cal just barely beat some group of five. Like this is a, this is a conference that just to get through the cupcakes consistently top to bottom is a big achievement. And frankly, I think it would be delightful if we got to the middle of the season and it was just a huge standoff between four five really good PAC 12 teams. I think that's exactly what the conference was missing for so long and it it really sort of, if they're going to do this anyway, and they probably will, it's better to do it when you're like, oh, okay, it's a bunch of good teams doing it and not, well, a three-win Arizona team just beat Oregon or something like that. Like, th- th- these are, I think, incremental improvements. It's the same thing that when it happens in the SEC, everybody just talks about what a deep league it is and yeah. how it's how it's an impossible schedule and eight and how, four Mississippi is the 12th oh, best team in the country oh the stations right, right. of the cross look easy compared to an <laughs> SEC schedule frankly and oh. and if the pac 12 <laughs> if the pac 12 can can be that for this last year I think that's awesome and I I truly welcome it is it is there a German word for when you only give something attention and appreciate it because you know it's about to explode the following year because wow. I feel like that's what we're doing with the Pac-12 now we're like yeah. everyone feels like that the league in 
its entirety is an underdog because we will never see it exist again. So everyone is like, wow, this is going to be the best year of the Pac-12 ever. Yeah, there is an element of like, oh, we're about to yeah. break up with this person, but like, haven't we had some great times together? Shouldn't we go on like one Let's more go fun to prom. road trip? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's senior prom. What, what, I can't dump no, you before no prom. No loss, loss here. Day after prom, that's what I'll dump you. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm looking through the other conferences, you know, and and I think the Pac-12 is the deepest conference we have. Again, ironically, they're shutting down after this year. It blows my mind. Where we look at the Big Ten and we think, you know, two teams, Michigan and Ohio State. Do you think either Wisconsin, who is going to be a real surprise team this year, possibly because we're used to three yards in a cloud of dust and they're going to have a little more of a throwing offense and Penn State. You know, with a new quarterback, this big dude, 6'5", mm-hmm. about 242, is it Drew Alar threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. Can either one of those teams, Penn State or Wisconsin, kind of mess up or muck up the Ohio State, I Michigan, what everybody Penn thinks State is going to be the, the two? is the most intriguing of those possibilities because, you know, they they played a Power 5 team. Granted, a Power 5 team that's had some struggles as of late. But Neil Brown, West Virginia's head coach, after that game said, the plan was to make the quarterback beat us. And he did. And 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 the fact that Penn State could go out there and really look comfortable consistently against in a week one game and feel like they could control the action, like that is a positive step forward. West Virginia is not the same as Ohio State or Michigan. Like I feel like nobody is surprised to learn that. But I think they remain an interesting possibility because they have this this quarterback talent who like fans on message boards have been calling for him to play for it feels like 2 years now. And now it is finally his turn in his season and it feels like they have adequately prepared him for the responsibility. Wisconsin is a big question mark. There were a lot of points in the Buffalo game where you could tell this is a thing that is changing in real time. I think they have the coaching know-how and experience to make it work. I don't know if this year will be the year, though. I think there will still be some acclimation to, to, to deal with, and I would probably say Penn State is the more intriguing upset possibility right now than Wisconsin is. I have two more questions for you, Ryan. The first question, what were your thoughts on Michigan's on-field tribute to their fallen head coach, Jim Harbaugh, who is serving a three-game self-imposed suspension for buying a recruit a cheeseburger? Um, let's start there. I I really appreciate that. There, there are two ways you could have done this. You could have just said, we're going to get through this three-game suspension. The games are not the marquee part of the Michigan schedule at all. We're just going to get it over with quietly and quickly and not bring a lot of attention to it. And then you can do what Michigan has done, which is do the tribute on the field, wear your homemade free Harbaugh shirt coming off the bus. If you're JJ McCarthy, come up with this incredible rotating head interim head coach system for the first three games, bring in Jim's dad as a special assistant for the, like, there is an element of why are you why are you making us pay so much attention to this? And I think I think it's because Michigan really thinks the whole thing is dumb. And the way you can really prove it is dumb is by hyping it up, by making it seem like Jim Harbaugh, political prisoner, must be honored and freed as soon <laughs> as possible. And it's <laughs> I'm kind of delighted by it. It's very silly. Do you think it's, it's intentionally silly. silly or is it earnest? That is what I I, I'm questioning It's somehow that. both. Okay. It is somehow, like, yes, there is, I believe J.J. McCarthy when he says, I just want my coach back. <laughs> like, I believe that. But I think there is also, like, if you work in the Michigan graphics department and you, you made these, like, the week. <laughs> if you made these elaborate graphics about, about the interim coaches and how you're going to have one coach for one half next week against UNLV, I think, and then one coach for this, like, at some point you have to say, this is ridiculous. This is silly, but that doesn't mean it can't be fun. That doesn't mean it can't be enjoyable. And as long, honestly, as long as they win at the end of it, it's weirdly probably a good motivational tactic because these are not games that you think Michigan would normally get up for, but now they have created this specter of 
the world is against us. You did this to yourselves, Jess. You said it yourself. This is a self-imposed penalty. But Michigan players want to act like the FBI has to be dismantled because <laughs> Jim Harbaugh's sitting out for three games. Well, their their Wii fence looked really good this weekend, <laughs> so at least they have that going for them. Um, yeah. And I did. You also see Jim Harbaugh yeah. said he didn't have Peacock and he had to figure out. He had to I, go to he had to go to his OC's house to get it. Oh God. Oh God. Uh, I don't. Been there, honestly. Yes, we've we've yes. had some games on Peacock, and I'm not proud of uh, how long it's taken me to have to explain <laughs> that whole yeah. situation to my. Yeah. Uh, elder family members. Okay. I, I want to ask you one last question because okay. you, I feel like we can't have a college football segment on any show without talking about Alabama. So mm-hmm. Jalen Milrow, named yeah. the starter, looked really good against middle yeah. Tennessee. Is he going to be the guy at Alabama now? And can we put all of the quarterback controversy problems to rest? Um, you know, this is the same thing going on with Ohio state. Uh, he's the guy until he isn't. He really is like middle Tennessee is not going to be the game that cements or uh, cements anybody's status as the starter at Alabama. I I think he showed enough to say, to justify why he was picked, but I, I can't look you in the eye and say, if they get to an SEC opponent and through the first half are struggling on offense, that Nick Saban's not going to make the switch. Like, this is this is a team that's done that before. This is a team that has gone away from Jalen Hurts, who had a lot more starting experience with them, had a lot more accomplishments on the field. Like they know they can't just stick with somebody because he was QB one last week. And so I think this remains very unsettled. And I think Nick Saban is going to really dislike having to answer that question every week for most of the season, potentially. Amazing. Yes. Uh, and what this is only week yes. one. Oh, and look at all the stuff we had one. to talk about. Uh, it's, it's absolutely awesome. Ryan, we, uh, we appreciate the time very much. And coming up next, let's jump to uh, another league called the NFL, uh, which is getting for week one itself. That's we'll break right. all that down. Yeah, next. sure. All right, Jess, so much college football to talk about. That was fantastic. We also have week one of the NFL coming up. And uh, my son and I are on the road for Gojo and Golik. We're going to kick off the season in Kansas City, fueled by Campbell's Chunky. Uh, So we're looking forward to being there, doing a live show there, 4 to 7 Eastern time in the afternoon, right in the parking lot, right at the stadium to start uh, the NFL season this year. So let's kind of start there. Uh, with Kansas City, the defending Super Bowl champs against Detroit, a team, Jess, I have picked to win the division. And for Kansas City, the biggest star they have on defense, Chris Jones, not going to be there. He hasn't signed yet. God knows when he's going to sign. Even if he signed this absolute minute we're taping this on a Tuesday, he ain't playing Thursday, that's for sure. Uh, So... This this could be this actually could be a pretty I think high it will scoring be game right really out of the gate. Fun and high scoring. I still think the Chiefs are a big favorite. They're they're six and a half point favorites even without Chris Jones or with his status sort of unknown but likely not going to play. Um, but I'm really excited. I think when the schedule was announced, Mike, everyone kind of was like, "Hmm, we're putting the Lions on primetime against the Chiefs. That's an interesting call." But I like it. I like that. The Lions were a lot of people's like sleeper fun team to watch last year. And this will be the year that we'll see if Dan Campbell can actually make a step and win a division that's kind of up in the air. There's no Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Justin Fields is really good, but you know, I don't know if the bears are going to be a super competitive team. Uh, and you have yeah. Kirk cousins with, and the Vikings with one of the best players in the NFL on their offense, Justin Jefferson. So they're obviously really good, but, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see if they're able to pull it off this year, but I still, I still have Kansas city winning this one. Yeah, I think I, I do as well. What's interesting in, in that, in that NFC North in, in picking Detroit, I'm intrigued now with green Bay and Jordan love. Cause I think the best two non-established I, I specify non-established quarterbacks who played, I think the best and looked the best in the preseason hmm. were Jordan Love and Sam Howell with the commanders. I thought both of them looked really good. And I know it's the preseason. I know it's more villa, vanilla defenses, but I just pushed aside green Bay. So I kind of like what I saw to Jordan Love. So we'll, we'll wait and see uh, what happens there. A couple of the other bigger games uh, just before we get to summer, we're going to keep an eye on this weekend 
is I'm calling the game Sunday night for Westwood nice. one Cowboys at Giants. And it's so wild on, on Gojo and Golik. We talked to Austin Eckler, uh, the running back for the Chargers. And obviously in the discussion was the talk of the running back position and how they're devalued now. But this game, <laughs> Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard. I mean, I think this game is going to be two teams that we know will pass the ball. We get that. But but are, are reliant a lot on those running backs. So after all the devaluing of the running backs, these running backs obviously can yeah, have a and the big, Giants, big impact again, are on a this team game. That I think surprised a lot of people last year. There was a lot of like midway through the season, like, huh, that's a thing. And so I'm, again, I'm interested to see what they're able to do this year with a lot of that talent returning and with the coaching staff returning, but the Cowboys uh, expectations are <laughs> always sky high. So this is a really fun one that you get to call Mike week one. I think Dallas is the favorite, but it's going to be probably a pretty tight one. Yeah. Yeah. I think it will. And that right side of the line steal the right tackle for the Cowboys just signs the extension. They got Zach Martin back in. Uh, uh, he, as he was holding out and cost him a million dollars, but he certainly made up for it on the other end. So I would expect a heavy dose of running there, a good one. And then the Monday nighter, uh, listen, the team we talked about all off season long, the jets, the bills are at the jets. And of all the talk of the offense is Josh Allen, that offense. And obviously Aaron Rodgers and the jets offense now getting, uh, Dalvin Cook to go along with Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, and the other receivers, Abron and Randall Cobb and such. I think this game, quite honestly, just comes down to the Jets' defense, which I think is going to be excellent this year. And slowing down, I don't know about stopping, but slowing down the Bills' offense. I kind of like I the Jets in this one because I, I of their I kind of have to disagree with you. I think I like the Bills. I know there's been a lot of weird, like, offseason stuff with the Bills and, like, maybe, uh, you know, the train's coming off the tracks a little bit with them, not – Again, last season, living up to the expectations and being able to win a Super Bowl with a definite Super Bowl caliber roster. But I think if this game's in Buffalo, I'm very confidently picking the Bills. The fact that it's on the road in New York with how I, I know the Jets fan base is going to go crazy at this game, Mike. This is the first time they've had a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers in my lifetime, certainly. So most fans' lifetimes probably as well. But um I still kind of give the edge to the Bills. I still think the Bills have more answers uh, to questions than the Jets do. And I, I think Jets fans will also be expecting the sky to fall, right? They'll be expecting something That's bad fair. to happen that said, see, we can't get good things because something bad will yeah, happen. I mean, they're, I mean, they're kind I, of built I can that relate, way, right? You know, that's, how, that's how I tend to act in my fandom. Mike, I was screaming at the referees during a Notre Dame 50 point blowout over Tennessee state this weekend. So I can, well, the whole targeting thing. I mean, Were you really? it was it, Mike. I, oh, I know. Listen, I, I, the targeting rule is one thing. The interpretation is another. Is and ridiculous. The, the expulsion of a player is the thing that I hate the most 15 yarder. If you want to say two of those get you kicked out of the game, I could maybe go along with that, I but agree. I can't stand the fact you get tossed out of the game. And, and I just uh, am saying just, just absolutely I probably have more me. in common with Jets fans than I'd like to admit. So if they're looking for something to be stressed out and anxious about, guess what? Football is a good sport to watch because there's always something. Boy, it, isn't that the truth? All right, I want to get to a couple more games, but let's get to a player. Uh, let's get our Gatorade Fast Twitch Player of the Week, who we think it's going to be. And as a, we've chatted about this. And as a show, we're going to go with the rookie from Atlanta. Carolina is visiting the Falcons. Bijan Robinson, the running back, taken in the first round. Jess, I can't wait. And, and uh, the running back position might be putting their hopes in him to help bring back. There was him and, and Jameer Gibbs, another first rounder for Detroit, that these young guys can maybe bring back the value of the running back. But Going up against a Carolina defense that was in the middle or less than half, you know, than the lower half on defense overall. And what Bajan Robinson can do running the ball or catching out of the backfield. I think yeah, this guy's I'm, I'm really come excited out of the gate for this really, one really too. Strong. Mike, I am now looking at the schedule like thoroughly for the first time. I, this there are a lot of really good games this weekend. Is this the best week one NFL slate yeah. we've had in a while? I, I Panthers, Falcons, 49ers, Steelers. Dolphins Chargers we haven't even talked about yet. This is going to be a good weekend. 
Bears yeah, Packers. I, 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 oh my god. Yeah, I want to get to that one. Uh, I, there, there are some great ones in there. Uh, but again, Bajan Robinson, he is our guy. He is uh, hopefully will be powered by Gatorade's fast twitch energy drink, uh, and we'll we'll be real pat ourselves it, on Mike. the back when we're right about that one. Uh, but the, the other, I, I think, and then we talk, sit there and talk about pressure. You know, who it, it, Deshaun Watson? Deshaun Watson after the suspension last year and coming back at the end of last year and just playing horribly. But I'm not going to rip him for that. I mean, he had been out for so long. Right. And they came back and looked rusty. They're going up against Cincinnati right out of the gate. You know, since he can put up some points, so the Browns defense on paper uh, looks pretty good. I think start there. I'm looking at pressure on Deshaun Watson. How is he going to come out of the gate? Well, because they Cincinnati's do have some power got on a really offense. good and very accomplished defense, but they also have a good, uh, a not so good blocking offense for Joe Burrow. And and we know that the Browns have a good pass rush. So I think that is going to be one where you're going to have to watch your favorite spot, Mike, the trenches, see how each team can respond to the other. But yeah, I mean, with Deshaun Watson, like last year, he gets suspended for sexual misconduct for breaking the NFL's personal conduct policy. He had sat the previous year out. I, I don't even really know like how, uh, how to talk about him in terms of what has been going on with him on off the field and on the field. It's weird that he's back. And I, I just, I don't know what to expect. So yeah, I guess I'll be watching that game and uh, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. Cincinnati is the favorite. Um, but yeah, Deshaun Watson is is now back for a full season for the first time in a couple of years. So, and the thing about it is, I mean, there's really not the pressure of will he be the quarterback for the future of that team? Cause this contract's fully guaranteed. It's the pressure of can he get back to being, you know, top five, top eight quarterback in the league again. Let me ask you this, Jess. Out of the rookie quarterback starting, who has the best chance to win? So you have um, Bryce Young, Carolina, is at Atlanta. Uh, You have C.J. Stroud for Houston. They're at Baltimore. And then you have Anthony Richardson for the Colts. They are home to Jacksonville. So who do you think I has think the CJ Stroud and the Texans win right for sure the have game. the worst chance. They are huge underdog. I knew you you thought I was about to yeah. say they have the you made a face. No, no, no. I am not. I did. I was like, wow. Here. I think they have no doubt the worst chance. They are definitely the worst team on paper. And the Ravens, we know, are very good. Lamar Jackson resigned to a big deal this offseason. Um as far as the other teams go. The Jaguars, they're like their playoff team playing the Colts and the Colts lost one of their best offensive players. Uh, we think with this weird Jonathan Taylor situation. So I don't know what to expect from them. Um, my third option is uh, what was the third option? The um, Panthers, right? Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, would be I think Carolina going, and I mean, Atlanta. I know we just uh, Bryce Young and Atlanta. Robinson, but I think I'm going to go with. I think I'm going to go with Carolina over Atlanta. Yeah. I think I give Bryce Young the best the best chances. I, I would give him the best chance. I think all will <laughs> lose, lose by but the I, least that, amount. That definitely, I <laughs> play think the would best be, in a loss. Uh, the, <laughs> okay. The, the, yeah, lose by. It's exactly right. It's exactly though. Though week week one is still a, we talk about that in college football because there's no preseason games. While there are three preseason games. In uh, the NFL, still, the starters don't play a lot. It's vanilla on both sides of the ball, so you're never really sure. And then there's your team, Jess. Now, Kenny Pickett is is looking like this is his team, command of the offense now. And they're home to San Francisco, where you got Brock Purdy, who now is the man that got that situation squared away. We figured it was, but Trey Lance gets traded. Uh, Sam Darnold's a backup. But no Nick Bosa. You guys should your, – your Pittsburgh Steelers should be very, very happy – about that again I think he'll sign but even if he signs now I doubt he's playing unless it would just be a snap or two you don't want to risk a soft tissue injury so how do you like your team coming out of the gate there's been a lot of uh I've seen like Mina Kimes and and other NFL analysts be really high on Kenny Pickett in the preseason which I trust her with all of I, I trust Mina more than I trust any other football person Mike except maybe you um but like anytime that I see preseason hype I I tend to get a little nervous because like now instead of Kenny Pickett just kind of coming in and doing his job he's got a lot of pressure and expectations on him and more of like a a pressure from I think the national media and so I'm just nervous I'm just really nervous I think Kenny Pickett can be solid I think 
George Pickens is really good. I think Deontay Johnson and George Pickens are a great wide receiver duo. And I also think we're like Najee Harris played hurt last year. So he is not getting as much hype as even he could be, uh, especially with a, a more like retooled Steelers offensive line. But yeah, I don't know what to expect from Brock Purdy coming off of an injury. Uh, he played just, uh, he ex- exceeded every person's like, expectations in his rookie season um and I don't know if he's going to play that well this year I don't know what to expect from him we don't have a huge sample size from him in the NFL um but I I don't know this is going to be a really good game it's two really good defenses a couple really exciting offensive skill position guys playing um I think it might be a close game I maybe give the edge to the Steelers in this one Mike but I'm nervous there you go. That's what I was waiting to hear. That's what I was waiting to hear. All right. Last last one, and it's really not a game of your thoughts. Kyler Murray is yeah. gonna is on the pup list, so he misses the first four games in Arizona. But they made a bunch of trades, got rid of some players, and everybody's talking about them tanking, you know, for for the you know, Drake May or, or Caleb Williams. So and we always talk about the guaranteed contraction injury protection. If next offseason Kyler Murray doesn't pass his physical, they're on the hook for like three years of big-time guaranteed money, T- huge money. So is Kyler Murray going to play any more for the Arizona Cardinals? Because remember, they did this to Carr with the Raiders, right? They sat him down, and eventually he just went away. They didn't want any chance of him getting hurt of what that could cost you. So do you wonder, do they just sit him so he doesn't get hurt and then they have a bad year and then they draft a quarterback with a high pick? I I think maybe some of their front office problems like flew under the radar the last couple seasons just because they weren't playing very well. I know they're Mike, they're your hometown team right now. You're out in Arizona half year, but um, I think, I think it's like underrated how big of a mess the situation there is. And I, I know Washington is a two touchdown favorite over them this weekend with Sam Howell starting. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to play. I don't know if he should play. Um, it's probably, what's the point if he does? Like, they're not a playoff team. They're not going to be competitive in their division. Um, but also, you know, you don't want the tanking accusations. We've seen how that's gone for other teams. So it's a tough spot, but I, I think yeah. – best thing for him to do is just worry about himself and get healthy and just not worry about what's going to happen after that. Yeah. See where he, yeah. exactly. See what he, see what he can do under a new coaching staff. If, and when he, he comes back again, he has to miss the first four games because he's on the pup list. All right, coming up, there are more things going on outside of the world of football, both college and pro and pro. Uh, can Coco Goff, I mean, keep doing her thing at the U.S. Open? And I'm finding out in F1, while the cars are fast, it turns out some of the drivers are somewhat fast on their feet as well. I'll explain next. All right, Jess, as I mentioned, there's more going on than just football, even though that's the focus of a lot of people. We have the U.S. Open going on in tennis. I want to talk about that, <laughs> but then I want to get some F1, which is finally back. Finally uh... back. And shocker, Max Verstappen wins again. Uh, so we'll get into that. But the U.S. Open and what Coco Goff, she's, you know what? She's fun to watch. She's a fun 19, personality. Yeah. I, I, what is she, 19 years old? I mean, we needed, we the U.S. needed that young star. We need that on the men's side as well. But on the woman's side, boy, we're putting it all yeah, on and Coco Goff. And uh, she, on the she men's side, right maybe now. like Francis Tiapo is kind of that guy too. We'll, we'll get to the men's side of the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open in a second. He's only 25 years old and he's made it uh, again to the quarterfinals. But yeah, Coco Goff, as the taping of this, she's playing right now against a Latvian player, Ostapenko. Um, I really hope she wins. She's also playing doubles with Jess Pagula. Uh, they won their match on, on Monday. Long weekend has me screwed up on days, Mike. But um they're playing really, really well together too. I, I just yeah. I love Coco Goff. She's a, I think this is the first time a teenage U.S. star has made it to back-to-back U.S. Open quarterfinals since Serena Williams did it. I think I got that stat right. Um, she's, like you said, really fun to watch, but also she's so young. And one of the things I like that she said, because New York right now is having a huge heat wave, 
Um, she's playing in the quarterfinals. It's like 90 degrees out. And she's like, I don't care. I'm from Florida. I like playing in the heat. So she's using it to her advantage, which I like. Um, because yeah, it's really freaking hot down here too. And if you're not used to that might be a little tough. So I, I really hope that she wins, but, um, it has been, the tennis has been so good. This is like the second year that I've been a tennis fan. I still don't really know what the hell is going on half the time. Usually just like, I don't know if you saw that video of Rob Gronkowski at the U.S. <laughs> Open. He's just going like this. And then he's like, wow, that's pretty much what I'm doing. Like yeah, the, yeah, I did. The strategy, yeah. I'm, I'm slowly picking it up. But I, mostly I'm just like, wow, wow, what a shot. What a shot moving my head back and forth. Um, but it's been really, really fun to watch. And on the men's side, Mike, I have a trivia question for you. This is, it's a, it's a tennis. Yeah. Oh, US there's no way I'll get it, but trivia. go ahead. I wouldn't have gotten this either. Oh. Um, maybe someone in the audience will get it. Okay. But there are three U.S. men in the quarterfinals for the first time since 2005. Can you name any of the players who were in the quarterfinals in 2005 for the U.S.? 2005. What? Uh, I no, mean, not Sampras. You have? Uh, could it be Sampras? There's a there's a big name that you know. Um. Um. I I I. I why is his name Andre escaping Agassi. me? Data Steffi Graf. What? what yeah. Oh, that was the one I thought you'd get. Andre Agassi. Yeah, yeah. That's one. That, James Blake is the other. So that is one. And that's Robbie Ginpri. Oh, okay. I have never seen him play tennis before. Yeah. So. Oh my god. On the trivia, but that's okay. We're we're learning tennis, wow. Mike. Well, I got one. I I, I kind of got I one, know, didn't I? And Andre like Agassi, you're not going to give me credit, credit for that. <laughs> I'll take it. Listen, it, 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 in school, when I had to show my work, I get the wrong answer. But if I showed enough work, go. I'd get partial credit. So I was happy about that. Uh, but we're, we're again, uh, with, with what Coco Golf is doing, even uh, Jokovic is, is talking about her saying she's on the rise, even though she's still young. He said now with Brad Gilbert on her side, great experience of coaching some of the greats. It's all coming together for her. And let's hope she can get this first one under her belt, right? Get that first Grand Slam under her belt and then and then start to get on a roll. Again, just 19 years old. Very, very cool uh, out of her. So we will see what happens there. And now, Jess, back to F1. We're finally back to F1. I, I've missed it. But I, I am starting to wonder, because I am an F1 fan, We've talked about some of the races where it's tougher to pass. We've talked about seeing the same names near the top. And now Max Verstappen has, has, has the record of most consecutive wins with 10 um, and, and growing. Uh, he's close to getting his third straight championship. And I know we had a, dominant, a dominator in the sport in Lewis no. Hamilton, but Lewis Hamilton never won 10 races in a row. Max is just on a roll. So while that was great for him, in all overall, I is don't that know if it's hurting, hurting the, sport? the sport, but it can't be helping the sport. Like it can't be good that he's won this many races in a row, because I think even a couple of the races have been pretty like, you know, not a lot of passing Max is in the lead the whole time. Unless you're a huge strategy, tire strategy fan, like maybe you're not watching and, and nothing exciting has happened for you but like even in this race there was some really exciting stuff that happened and I just don't think uh, very many people are tuning in to watch a midfield race especially if they're newer fans um like there was a really exciting finish between the two Ferrari cars um there was there was a lot of like interesting stuff that happened but I think that since it does feel like a foregone conclusion that even though Carlos Sainz is on pole Max will win the race it probably has turned off like the casuals um, so I don't know. Right. I mean, I really don't know if it's, if it's hurting it, but I don't think it has been a good thing. I don't think more people are watching to see a guy win 10 races in a row. I, I do think that especially the newer fans watch the sport, uh, during COVID was when it got really popular in the U S and now expect to see some more, you know, exciting finishes. And like, there just haven't been that many super exciting finishes at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like the midfield has been, there's been some exciting stuff, but yeah. I don't yeah. know if casuals are watching right, right, the right. midfield race. <clears throat> right. That, that's yeah. the thing. They're watching the top and they see Max there all the time. And he was in a tie with Sebastian Vettel for nine straight yeah. wins. And he just got his 10th and, and counting and championship is going to be next. Yeah. He's going to, uh, he's going to wrap that up pretty soon as well. But there's another thing going on in F1 that, that, <laughs> 
burglars seem to be targeting F1 drivers for because they, I, I can't think of another sport <laughs> that wears more expensive watches than F1 drivers. And oh, it was it. Carlos Sainz, and, and I always screw up that name, but I think I'm getting it right. I got it right. He was the latest. He had on a 300000 or not on, but he had a $300,000 watch that was stolen, but he and his crew saw yeah. the guy doing it and ran him down, ran him down to get his watch back. But others have had their watches stolen as well. And these are all watches that are hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, what the I mean, hell are they doing off, wearing those watches like that? sponsored by Rolex. Second off, all of the drivers have their own individual. Uh, and Mike, they're not watches. They're timepieces. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So if it's a watch, if it's under Whatever. 50 grand. Whatever. If it's over 50 grand, now it's a timepiece, I guess. I don't know. That's what I've, I keep seeing it be called. But yeah, God. they all have their own personal timepiece uh, sponsorships with like Richard Meal and uh, Lewis Hamilton had a big billboard in Miami for a while for a, a, I think it was a Swiss, a Swiss watchmaker. I can't pronounce the names of these things, Mike, but they're all like worth more than a down payment on a nice house yeah. in the United States. So yeah, that, but that is yeah. again, like Formula One is Formula One because those are the brands that want to associate themselves with the driver in the sport. It's a luxury sport. They're driving racing sports cars that cost millions of dollars yeah. to construct that no one else can drive in the world. Like these drivers all, some of them have deals with the car manufacturers and they have their own custom like McLarens and Ferraris that they drive on their own. Like it's absolutely bananas. That is, I think the allure to a lot of people um, is how unattainably wealthy these people are. They yeah. all, Half of the drivers live in Monaco, Mike. Not at all. Well, that's the thing. We we can't relate to them. I mean, Lewis Hamilton so signs money. a deal that's paying him an extension, 70 mil a year. They're wearing $300,000 <laughs> watches. And again, Carlos right. Sainz ran after right. this and person. And you know if he did, Literally he would have gotten ran him down. watch from I mean, that, that's, Richard Mille or whoever. Yeah, timepiece. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if they even get this stuff insured because they buy them like out know. of gumball machines so with it the amount crazy. of money they have. It's... It's absolutely crazy, but uh, con congrats to Max Verstappen. Um, we're back in after the break now, so we'll get more racing. Now it's just a matter of fact of, of when he secures another championship. And I'm with you. The middle of the pack is fun to watch. The front, we kind of know the names that are going to be up there, but it is what it is. I know I'm going to keep watching it and enjoying it. Uh, but just as we mentioned, we got week one of NFL coming up this week. I am so excited.